Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Neil Berliner, a psychiatrist in private practice in New York City. Dr. Berliner is the author of a new training book for pharmaceutical representatives entitled A Franchise of One, Strategies for Pharmaceutical Sales. While he's a well-known physician and lecturer, we will be discussing Dr. Berliner's other career today as a comedy writer. Welcome, Neil. Oh, thanks, Leslie. So, Neil, you mostly write roast material. What famous people have you roasted? Well, I've done about seven major roasts in the past two years. And some of the people were uh, people like William Shatner. That was a Comedy Central roast. And I was part of the New York Comedy Festival roast of the chef Mario Batali. And I've done four roasts on the Howard Stern Show, including Artie Lang and Andy Dick. And my most recent project was writing for the upcoming Comedy Central roast of the rapper Flavor Flav, which will air on August 12th. Now, how did you get into writing roasts? Well, I had been writing for a character on the Howard Stern show called Rapping Granny. And when Stern went over to Sirius, they decided to make roasts a big part of the format. So every several months, they have a roast of someone involved with the show or some celebrity. And for the second roast, I pitched doing Rapping Granny as one of the roastees to Bob Levy, Reverend Bob Levy, who's a very good and well-known comedian. And I wrote some lines for that roast for him, and he liked the lines, and she went, she did that roast. So it's a long story, but I've been involved with the roast ever since then. I got a very big break from Bob and also from Artie Lang, and they liked my stuff. And from that point on, I've written for every Stern Show roast. Is that different kind of comedy writing than regular stand-up? Yeah, it's very different. It's basically just insult humor. Uh. which I became very used to growing up in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) So were you the class clown? Actually, I was not the class clown. I was really studious. I wanted to become a doctor. It was drummed into me that I should become a successful physician, so I had to be good in school and get good grades. So I was more like the kid in the back of the room who would quietly make fun of the class clown in front of the room. I would, you know, comment to my friends how, how stupid the class clown was. You had mentioned the Mario Batali, and you did a roast on him. It's interesting to roast a chef. I, that's got yeah, yeah that, was, that came up as a line by somebody. I think, yeah. And I understand that one of the lines was a big hit and got a lot of media exposure. Tell us about that one. Mario Batali, you know, he's the guy with the orange clogs and the blonde ponytail, and he's, he's overweight. So I noticed when I was doing my research that he looks a bit like Kiefer Sutherland. So the line I constructed was, Mario, you look like Kiefer Sutherland if he got stung by bees. Really, you're twice his size. You should star in a show called 48. (laughs) So that line got a lot of attention. It was picked up by Page Six and also the uh, Russian Malloy Entertainment column. Now, you also had a line about Jason Alexander, who was George uh, in Seinfeld. At the William Shatner roast, uh, Jason was the MC. So Artie got up and said... Jason, uh, you're my man. You're a committed actor. You went from the show about nothing to actually doing nothing. (laughs) You're producing a big new comedy series in Palm Beach in Florida. What's the story with that? There's a new entity called the Cultural Trust of the Palm Beach. It's a very big project, major venue, and I'm running their comedy festival. So uh, starting in January, I'll be doing two types of events. The first is a Thursday night series of younger comics. I call it the up-and-coming comedians. And these are all up-and-coming young guys. And some of them even have potential as comedians as well. 
And then we're doing Saturday night events. Did you catch that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little sure slow, did. but I got it. And then it. we're doing Saturday night events with uh, major headliners, too. How do you have time to do all of this and practice medicine? I have this rule. And the rule is, you know, I'll do anything that takes 15 minutes or less. And my wife will attest to that. <laughs> so in a day, for instance, I can do like 96 different things, excluding you know, sleep. So really, most of the stuff I do doesn't take that long to do. You know, like I'll go a couple of days to a city, do some talks, and I'll, I only practice a few days a month. So I'll fly to New York and practice a few days. One strong point of mine in, in writing is that I can write quickly. So if somebody gives me an assignment and says, you know, come up with 15 lines on Farrah Fawcett or uh, Britney Spears, you know, I can do that within an hour or so. So that, that's a forte. You know, I'm able to come up with lines quickly on people. So, you know, all the things I do don't really take me all that much time in total. So you live in Florida, but you practice in New York. Yeah, we moved to Florida two years ago. And I had a, an established practice in New York. I know all my patients. So I figured, you know, let me just go up there and keep seeing my patients. There are a lot of people on JetBlue who recognize each other in Florida, who work in New York. Oh. <laughs> keep seeing the same people all the time. Huh. Now back to the comedy. How did you get your big break? I was involved with the Stern Show with Rapping Granny for years. And I decided that I was kind of like locked in to writing for her. So I decided I had to bust out somehow. And what I did was I wrote some stuff and I set up a lunch meeting over at the Sirius Studio in New York with the comedian Bob Levy, who I know from the show. And it turned out that that day, there was a teenager at the studio who had lymphoma and he had been brought in by the Make-A-Wish Foundation because he wanted to see the Stern Show in person. So after the show, which it tapes between like 6 and 10 a.m., the guys on the show decided that they would take this teenager to lunch at Del Frisco's in the Sirius building. So my lunch with Bob Levy turned into a big lunch with all the Stern Show comedians. Mm. So during this lunch, uh, we were having a great time. We are giving this kid a great time and cracking jokes and everything. At one point in lunch, I got up and I said, okay, listen, I have copies of my material here. You know, I'm going to pass it out. I want you guys to read through this stuff. If it sucks, you'll never see me again. But if you like it, then you've got to start using me. So they wound up doing my lines and doing it in different voices and, you know, just having a great time with it. We were all having a good time. And then I noticed that Artie, Artie Lang, who was sitting across from me, kept circling jokes. And he kept saying, I'm buying this one. I'm buying that one. I'm buying this one. So uh, he liked my stuff. And I've been writing for him and you know, other comedians since then. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is psychiatrist and nationally acclaimed comedy writer, Dr. Neil Berliner. Actually, that leads me to a question I've been wondering about for a while with this, Neil. How, how do you get paid? So do you, you literally get paid by the joke? Well, when I started out, yes, I got paid by the joke. So I would get about $100 per joke. But then as I got more established, I was able to negotiate for projects. So I would negotiate with the comedian for an entire project. So now if I do like 50 jokes, well, they still pay me $100 for the project. <laughs> so now it's a bundled deal. Yeah, it's a bundled deal. Yeah. <laughs> is it covered by managed care, though? Oh, boy, what is these days? They cover it, but reasonable and customary for jokes is like $30. Oh, <laughs> ah, okay. So and then have... the patient, you know, the, the audience has to pay a copay on that. So, you know, you're down to nothing again. <laughs> That's right. So have any of your lines really bombed? Well, you know, being a writer, the comedians, you know, they get to sift through what I write. By the time two pair of eyes have looked at it, the ones that 
survive are usually the pretty good lines. So I'm lucky in that way. Except for my first experience writing for Rodney Dangerfield and getting rejected by him with you know all my lines as a teenager, I've been fortunate in that my lines have, have not bombed. How would you suggest that other people interested in writing comedy or, or performing comedy get started? First, I think you have to find out that you know, from other people, if you have any skill or talent. It's really not something that you can go to a comedy school for and be taught. People seem to be either funny or not funny, able to produce humor or not. It's different than sense of humor. People can appreciate humor. They have sense of humor, but not everybody can create it. So I think you have to go out there, do some open mic nights, and you know, see if anybody responds. You know. And second of all, you can't get into this thinking or assuming or hoping. Well, you can hope, but you can't really count on getting famous or rich because the odds against that happening are incredible. They're absolutely incredible. And you need all kinds of luck. And part of the luck, you have to make your own luck, too. For instance, you have to send things. I mean, you shouldn't be afraid of sending material to famous people and seeing what happens. It doesn't hurt if you've written a bunch of jokes. You should pick one of your, your favorite comedians and try to think like that comedian and write some lines and send that person the lines and see what happens. It, you, know, you can't hurt by pushing yourself. You have to promote yourself in this business. If you don't promote yourself, nobody else will, really. Isn't there a risk, though, if you just send people lines that they'll use them and not yes, give you credit? You have, give away, you have to give away stuff for free at the beginning. Because if you have the talent, then it doesn't matter if you give stuff away for free. You can always create more material. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, I would send lines to people, and uh, I didn't really care if I got paid. Now, you also do private and corporate events. What's that about? Yeah, well, I started a company called CorporateRoasts.com. And we do corporation roasts and private parties. So we customize material. We'll find out the attendees, uh, features about the attendees and all kinds of information and gossip and stuff. And we'll put together roast lines. And we'll even send comedians out sometimes to do them. Or the people at the party can just read the roast lines themselves. Isn't that difficult, though, in this age of, you know, being politically correct? I mean, is it most comedy kind of is offensive, really? Well, you see, that's the whole nature of roasts, though. So if people approach us to do a roast, the assumption is that they're willing to go there in that direction. And we ask people, you know, how far do you want to go? Do you want to go into ethnicity? Do you want to go into sex? There's various uh, levels of doing this. And levels of vulgarity. So, you know, we've done some pretty dirty roasts, actually, pretty out-there roasts for very conservative corporations. As a psychiatrist, have you ever, <laughs> I've got to wonder, do you kind of secretly diagnose these comedians that you work with? No, because they've all got serious problems. So, uh, <laughs> you know, why waste my time? <laughs> Every comedian's depressed. This is no secret. The oh. level is extent of depression. <laughs> Do you give out prescriptions with your jokes? or? <laughs> yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the logistics of your comedy writing. Where do you work? And, and, and you know, how does, how does the whole process happen? Well, I'll get an assignment, and then I'll, in my home office, do my research and just start writing. It's usually alone, you know, in a vacuum, sort of. So that's kind of a disadvantage. And recently, I've hooked up with a couple of friends who do this as well. And we now bounce each uh, lines each, off each other, which is helpful. Do you write jokes at all in the office where you practice psychiatry? Oh, no, no, in my home office. Oh, okay. So I have two separate places. Yeah. Do you... They're separate but equal. 
so sounds like you separate physically where you write comedy versus where you practice psychiatry. Do you find that you get into different mindsets with both of your jobs? Well, I guess to an extent, I feel more like a doctor when I'm walking into that office and wearing a tie. And, you know, there are secretaries around and patients and prescription pads. and So, you know, it's a whole different mindset than when I'm home, you know, in my office, in my robe, just writing stuff. Well, Neil, I really appreciate you taking the time out of both your psychiatry practice and your comedy writing business to be with us today. Oh, thank you, Lizzie. It's been fun. It's really an inspiration to see that people can combine medicine with a completely different career. So we've been discussing Neil's second career as a comedy writer. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. 